The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. All right, so part of what we do on our fifth Sunday family worships is we go through catechism questions. Now, what on earth is a catechism? Isn't that like a violent upheaval? That's a cataclysm. A catechism is a series of questions and answers that are intended to be repetitive that help us to learn the truths that are present within the Bible. So if you remember, way back in January, kids, maybe you remember this, the first family worship of the year, we had our very first question, and it was this. You ready? I'm going to throw it up on the screen. What is our only hope in life and death? Let's throw up the answer and read it with me. That we are not our own. Isn't that awesome? That God loves us and he holds us in his hand in life or death, sickness and in health, and good times and bad times and everything in between. We belong to the Lord. Or remember a few months ago, Pastor Aaron taught our second catechism question. What is God? All right, now read the answer with me. God is the... So God is the inventor and maker of elephants and mountains and the T-Rex and outer space and dandelions and sharks and milkshakes and everything else, right? God is the one who is behind everything. Now, we have another question today. This is our third catechism question, and it's this. How many persons are there in God? Let's, let's stop there for a second because that's kind of an interesting question. How many persons are in God? Well, Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9 tells us that there is no one who is like God. There's no one like God. Like we sang about a few moments ago, there is no one like God. He is totally unique. God is only like God. That means that there is no one who is like God. There is no thing who is like God. God is totally himself. He is one of a kind in the truest sense. There's nobody like him, and it's awesome, and it's one of the reasons we worship him. I remember when I was a kid, I really struggled with thinking about how big God was, and I would ask my mom questions like, does God have a beginning? Does God have an end? How can God exist in multiple persons, you know? And my mom would say, the thing about God is that if we could understand him, his name would be Charlie or Frank or Bill, right? But that's not who God is. God is God, and he exists beyond outside our understanding. And how is God most unique? Well, the answer is that God is Trinity. Everybody say Trinity. Trinity. How many wheels does a tricycle have? Three. Tri means three. And God is Trinity, tri-unity. That means that there are three persons in God. Here's our answer. Read it with me. There are three persons in one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he's still one God. That means that there is no one like God. There is no other trinity. There is one trinity, and he stands alone. There is no thing that is like God, not eggs or apples or water and ice. Nope, there is nothing. God alone is trinity, and it's hard for us to imagine. But one thing that we can do to help us understand what it means that God is trinity is to look at a passage like 2 Corinthians 13, 14, which actually tells us that the persons in the trinity do different things. Let's look at that scripture once again. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now remember Paul in Acts 
Well, this is the, the end of the letter that Paul is writing to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And look what he says about each member of the Trinity. The grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you. Now first, what Paul teaches us about God and about the triune God and about the different roles that they play is this. That God the Father planned to save us. Everybody say planned. Planned. All right, what's your favorite Christmas movie? Shout it out. Yes. I was hoping National Treasure is not a Christmas movie. Now, I'm so glad somebody said Home Alone because Home Alone is my absolute favorite Christmas movie. Anybody like Home Alone, kids? Any of y'all like Home Alone? All right. The best part of the movie is at the end of the movie when the robbers try to break in and Kevin has the traps, right? And I always loved this little, this little part. Do you remember when he unrolls his plan in Home Alone? Do you remember that? He's got his battle plan. I'm going to put the Hot Wheels here at the bottom of the steps, and the paint cans are going to go here, and they're going to knock out Harry and Marv's teeth. You remember that part? It's so great. Now, what the Bible actually teaches us is that God is a God with a battle plan. That God has a plan for our rescue. Get this. God planned to save us. He drew up and imagined a way to rescue us. God made us and we sinned. He could have let us stay in our sin, but instead he made a plan to save us and bring us back to himself. And why did God do that? Was it because he was bored? Was it because he was lonely? Not in a million years. The reason God does that is because he loves us. That's just who God is. The love of God the Father. That is just who the Father is. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. It's because God is a fountain of love and he pours forth his goodness. Because he loves us, he dreamed up a plan to rescue us. And listen, it's not because he was surprised by Harry and Marv. It's not because he was surprised by our sin. It's because he's an author who knows how to tell a really good story. And he planned it to work itself out in exactly this way. The reason God planned to save us was because he loves us. All right, kids, raise your hand if you know that your daddy loves you. You just know that your daddy loves you. You have this big old stinky dad, and he's strong, and he wrestles with you, and this big old stinky dad has a big old love for you, right? He loves to wrestle with you and care for you, and he helps you put your shoes on. He helps put you to bed at night, and he reads you stories. Your dad just loves you, right? Well, that's kind of just what fathers do is they love it's true of your dad. He's a big old dad with a big old, love, big old love. How much more true is it of God the Father and his love for us, for his children? God the Father is our heavenly father with a big love, bigger than even your dad's. And he planned to save us. And the way that he does this, John 3.16 tells us, is that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son to offer us eternal life. So we get to our second idea. God the Father planned to save us. Secondly, Christ the Son died for us. Everybody say died. Now, who is your favorite superhero? Yell it out. Flash, Batman. All right, here's, here's a picture of my favorite. Who is this? Anybody know who this is? My very first Halloween costume I remember was an Adam West Batman costume that my Nana sewed for me. It was awesome. One of my favorite memories. Batman is the greatest of the superheroes. Now, what makes somebody a hero? Just shout it out. They're brave. They're a billionaire with motivation because he's an orphan. They're, right, they're, they're strong. They have super abilities. What about being selfless? What about dying for somebody? 
Jesus says that there's no greater love that we can have. There's no greater way to be a hero than to die for somebody. And the Bible says that's exactly the kind of hero that Jesus is. He died for us. Paul talks about the grace of Jesus. We were deserving judgment, but Jesus died and was judged for us. I mean, that's a hero. Jesus shows his grace in giving his life for our sin by dying on the cross. And you know else who could have died for our sin? Who else could have stepped in our place? Who else could have gone to the cross and borne the judgment that you and I deserve? Nobody. There is no one like Jesus. And there is no grace like the grace Jesus offers us. Jesus forgives our sin, and he's the only way that we can have our sins forgiven and we can be welcomed back to God the Father. And then after our sin is forgiven, you know what Jesus does? He gives us his Holy Spirit, and it makes us family. That's our third idea. God the Father planned to save us. Christ the Son died for us. The Holy Spirit makes us family. All right, I've got another picture on the screen for you. Now, this is, uh, this is a picture of me and my brother and sister. Raise your hand if you have a brother or sister. Raise your hand if you have a brother or sister. Yeah, that's good. Raise your hand if you're an only child so we can, yeah, man, you guys. All right, now, I need to tell you, so on your left with the dark hair, that's my older brother, Jacob. Standing at the top, that is Bree, who's sitting right here, my sister. And then the one with the haircut from Toad from Super Mario, that's, that's me. I don't know why in the 90s we thought a bowl cut was a thing, but it was. And I've rocked it real hard for years. Now that's me. And that's me with my brothers and sisters. Now, you know what's crazy about what the Bible tells us is that when we believe in Jesus, we might have brothers and sisters who come from the same family. But we're welcomed into this big new family, a family called the church, called Christians. Paul says that we have the fellowship of the Spirit. And that means that because God loves us as his children, because Jesus died for us. We all have the same Holy Spirit, and we are all in the same family of Jesus. We've been made brothers and sisters, and it's kind of like, whether we like it or not, Ed Starnes is now my brother because he and I both believe on Jesus. It's a blessing, Ed, to be clear, but we're brothers because of Christ. We laugh together. We cry together. We help each other. We eat together. We serve one another, and it's amazing. That's what the Holy Spirit has done for us. So how many persons are there in God? Let's review. How many persons are there in God? Can we throw that thing back up? There are three. God the Father planned to save us. Christ the Son died to save us. And the Holy Spirit makes us family. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that the best news in the world? The Father saves us because he loves us. The son dies for us because it's his grace, his kindness, and his mercy that he wants to show to us. And the Holy Spirit puts his love in our hearts and makes all of us who believe in Jesus family. Amen? Amen. All right, now, in the next few moments, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. And actually, in the Lord's Supper, we get a front row seat to these things that we have been talking about. In the Lord's Supper, we see how God the Father planned to save us. Because the Bible story culminates in Jesus giving us the supper of the new exodus. We see in the Lord's Supper, Jesus' grace for us. I mean, very visually, right? We have the bread, which shows his broken body, and the juice, which shows his poured out blood. And we also see how the Holy Spirit makes us family because we're taking this together. This is a family meal that we're getting ready to enjoy. 
The way this will work is we will invite everyone to move forward here just a few moments after I read our liturgy for this portion. Uh, we always ask folks to kind of go on the outside here, come this way and grab the elements, and then make your way back to your seat and hang on to those elements so that we can take it all at once. Parents, this is an opportunity for you to talk with your kids about the meaning of God being triune, about the Father who plans to save us, the Son who dies for us, and the Spirit who makes us family. Talk about the meaning of the Lord's Supper as a family this afternoon. Use it as an opportunity to, to share more and more about the gospel and see what the Lord does with that. Now, I'm going to pray, and then after I pray, I'm going to read through our liturgy, which will then invite you to move to the front to take the elements as you're ready. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you have shown grace to us. We thank you that you bore our sin on the cross and you took our place so that we could be welcomed back into fellowship with the Father and be granted status as sons and daughters. Spirit, we thank you for working in us and working out your righteousness in us. Would you give us a taste for the things of heaven? Would you, would you make us a family subjectively? Would you help us as Ridgewood Church to experience and know that we belong to one another because of you? And would you allow us to just find ourselves um, overwhelmed at the glory of it all, the whole story, God, that you've planned from eternity past to, to bring us to yourself through the blood of Christ, to sum up all things in Christ, to glorify Jesus by welcoming us into his family. Lord, we pray in these next few moments as we take the supper, our hearts would be stirred to worship and gratitude. And would you work in the hearts of these children as we sow and as we sow and as we sow, that one day we could reap and see them believe on you, Lord Jesus. We pray that these words would be a blessing to this body, and we pray that you would, as we take the elements, that you would nurture and sustain us to eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.